So like I said a moment ago, we're in a series called Presence, and that series is seeking to answer the question, what do we do with a Jesus that isn't present physically with us? Because when we read the Gospels, we see a Jesus that is physically present, that walks around. He walks only a couple hundred, not even a couple hundred miles from where he was born. And he interacts with people. He heals them. He preaches. He teaches. He dies, is resurrected, and ascends and says, hey, I've, I've, I've taught you what I need to. I've shown you what I need to. And, uh, and, and you no longer need my physical presence with you. So what do we do? How do we interact with a God like that, who we can read about other people interacting with and seeing and eating with and seeing face-to-face, but we can't do the same? How do we make ourselves available to the presence of God? So in our scripture this morning, there's a theme that I'm very drawn to and that I want to talk about this morning, and it's the theme of of friendship. Friendship. And I want want to start by by asking you to think about this question. What is a friend to you? If you think about who and what a friend looks like to you, what kind of words come to mind for you? could probably make a, a list pretty easily in your head. You could probably think of people, probably think of the things that they have done for you, have said to you, the ways they have helped and hurt you. And then I want you to also think now about how you would define friendship. How would you define it? What would it, how would, how would you explain what friendship is to somebody? So, Having those things in mind, have you thought about the presence of God as the presence of a friend? Have you imagined God to be the presence of a friend with you? And here's why I, I want you to think about that, because we have a lot of names and titles for God, and they're all good, and they're all important, and they teach us different ways to relate with God. There's, there's Lord, there's Christ, uh, there's Father, there's Holy Spirit, there's uh, King of Kings, there's the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end, the Judge, all of these things. And they're really important titles. But I wonder, I wonder how much we've been taught to think about God as friend, that title. And I would go so far as to say that uh, thinking about the presence of God in the way that we think about a really good friend could actually transform our spiritual life. I would go so far as to say that. When I think about what a good friend is, a good friend is somebody that, that stands up for you. And I probably think about that because when I was a, I was a kid... Um, I remember I was, I was the oldest of uh, the, my younger brothers that, that lived with me. And uh, I grew up a biracial kid in the South and, um, and, a, and a sensitive kid and artistic kid. I, I played sports and stuff too. But, um, and, and I found myself in a lot of situations growing up where um, I had to defend my younger brothers 
um, but I often wish that there was a friend to defend me. And I was racking my brain this week to think of a story where a friend stepped in for me when I was young and protected me, and I couldn't think of one. And maybe you can relate to that in some way. Maybe there's some attributes of a good friend, and as you search your, your life story, you find something lacking there. And so all the more important, even as we spoke about mothers and, and the role of, of nurturing and mothering in our communities, the lack of that, in the same way, we can really under, begin to understand and wrap our minds around how important it is to think about this friendship that Jesus is talking about in this passage and relating to God in that way and how that might transform our spiritual life and how we think about the presence of God. So here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want to talk about the definition of friendship, not just the, uh, the biblical definition, but kind of how we see it and define it in our world today. And then from there, I want us to connect that definition, that thinking, that concept of friendship with this text and how Jesus describes friendship and how he describes it to his disciples. And then from there, just look at a few uh, examples of what that could look like uh, in our world as we go. So, let's we'll start with a little Greek this morning. Uh, the, uh, the common verb for love in Greek is philio. Okay? Philio. It's P-H-I-L-E-O. Transliterated. And the Greek word for friend is philos. Okay? So, P-H-I-L-O-S. So there's like a two to three letter difference there between the word for love or one of the words for love in the Greek and the word, the most common word used for friend in the Greek. So if you were to combine those or follow the etymology of those words, then you would come to something roughly a friend being one who loves, one who loves. Uh, in the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, there's some really important uh, verses about friendship. In Proverbs 18.24, it says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Uh, an, an ancient text that reminds me of that that I stumbled upon in this research says this, Just so in calm weather a man cannot tell whether his sailing master is good, he will need a storm to determine that. That's how you can tell what a good friend is, somebody who sticks with you when everybody else is making fun of you or all your other friends doubt you or somebody who comes to support you when you've been depressed or grieving for longer than anybody seems to remember, right? When the, when the chips are down, when there's a storm happening in your life. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So a true friend is somebody who's going to tell you the truth, even if it hurts. They're not just going to tell you what you want to hear and then tell the truth behind your back to other folks. There's also, uh, in the scriptures, there's a history, actually, of, of, of God being called the friend of, of certain people. Like in Isaiah 41.8, 
It talks about Abraham being the friend of God. It says, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. So there are ideas about friendship in the scripture, general ideas of what makes a good friendship, of telling the truth, of being there when the chips are down, reliability, and also that, that God uh, considers, is, is, is told to be and said to be friends with different people. A, f- a famous quote about friendship comes from Aristotle asking the question, what is a friend? A single soul dwelling in two bodies. Now, that's a that's pretty high uh, expectation for friendship there. I don't, I, don't know, uh, I don't know if I could live up to that one. So that's kind of the, the biblical and the ancient world. That's some of the things about friendship there. What kind of things would you say friendship consists of today? That's kind of what I asked you to think about in the beginning. Uh, so I've got a short list here. One is, is you've been through stuff together, right? You've been through some things together. That's part of, of being a friend. When you've, when you've gone through things, maybe you worked together at a job, maybe you've been through some parts of life that were tough together, and you've seen that that person is also reliable, that they're going to be there for you. That's another thing, right? That reliability of another person. But probably one of the more common things that we think about as friends is people that we have in common interests with, right? That we like some of the same stuff. And that can be really important for friendships as well. Another piece is these shared values. Okay, so maybe you have shared moral convictions, religious convictions, a perspective of what makes the world work or doesn't work. Now, none of these things on their own can sustain a friendship, but if you've got some of them in place, then you might have a pretty good friendship. But all of these together still are not quite friendship on this deep level because there's also something that's unquantifiable about friends, a close friend. If you think about the closest friend in your life, and I was talking with my wife about this yesterday and I was talking about one of my, my good friends uh, his name's Justin Benjamin. We always called him Benjamin because there were like three Justins in our, our little friend group. So Benjamin um, did not name my son after him, by the way. Um, uh, he, I was trying to think of what made us good friends, and it, it really was taking me a long time to, f- to think about it. And I think it's because there is something that's unquantifiable. There's some kind of chemistry that happens with a close friend. And this, this is actually important because what we're getting to in this message is that you can interact with the presence of God as a friend. And if you've only ever imagined and thought of God as somebody who's trying to catch you doing bad or reward you for doing good or save you out of hell or to uh, just create you and then leave you to go figure out life on your own, then the friendship of God could potentially be a really healing and even motivating idea for how you might interact with God. A really interesting example of friendship to me that I keep coming back to, uh, and you might be able to tell if you know anything about me why this might be interesting to me, but it's this guy named Daryl Davis. And Daryl Davis is a middle-aged, heavyset, a black man who plays jazz and blues music. 
And what he's known for is befriending KKK members. And as he befriends them, these attributes of friendship that we talked about start to coalesce. It usually starts because they both like music. The first time this happened, he was playing some some jazz or blues kind of funky music in a club, and he started talking with with a white man at the bar, and the the guy, the, the white man said he'd never talked with a black man before and came to find out that this guy was a, a Ku Klux Klan member, and he actually had a card, and he said, like, here's my card to, 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 to show you I'm serious, because uh, Daryl didn't believe him. And as he developed a friendship with this guy, what happened is the things that they had in common and the shared values, and then also even some kind of chemistry, some, some strange commonality between them, even with those distinctions of a KKK member and a black man, he, the, the, that KKK member, realized that through that friendship that his identity as a Ku Klux Klan person no longer fit him anymore. And so I, I, it, that's almost literal. He took off his robe and he gave the robe to Daryl. And Daryl Davis has a large closet full of over 200 KKK robes. This is the potential power of friendship in our world. So, the incredibly amazing thing about this to me, that's like nothing else that I know of relationally, is becoming friends with somebody is a choice. Like Daryl had to make choices all throughout that first connection and every connection after that with those over 200 men. And we have a choice. You don't have a choice of who your family is. You don't have a choice of where and how you're born or what you look like. You don't have a choice about those things. But you can choose whom you consider and whom you want to be a friend to. And I think that's fascinating. Because like the Proverbs say, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so while you, while you may have a strained relationship, a difficult relationship, or no relationship with blood family members, that there is a choice for human beings that is so special and unique that you can develop a friendship that is that close, that it can change your very identity, that the clothing of your identity that you wear, the things that mark and define you, could be radically altered and changed by a friendship. And so when we think about the words of Jesus telling his disciples they are his friends, and that extending out to us, then, friends, we should listen closely this morning because there might be something in here for us that might alter and change our identity for the better as well. So let's, let's take a look at this, at this just single verse here first. Verse 14, it says this, You are my friends if you do what I command. Uh, this verse is so interesting 
Because after everything I've just said about friends, that doesn't seem to quite match or coalesce. Jesus is, is telling the disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command. So, so in this passage, Jesus is, is talking about something, and it's, he's really talking about something that has already occurred in this gospel, where uh, Jesus has served the disciples in a shocking way. He has washed their feet. Something only a servant would do. Somebody of the lowest social class, someone you would not consider a friend, someone you would not speak honestly to or share or even wonder if you shared values or commonalities with. And Jesus goes to this drastic position to show the vulnerability of his relationship with the disciples, those who would be his servants. A disciple is a follower, not a leader, is someone with out the privileged information in some sense as the one that they are following or the status or title. And Jesus goes beneath, lower than them, and serves them in a way to show them just how valuable and vulnerable that relationship is to take that place. And so he's speaking to some things that they already have experienced, and he said, you are my friends if you do what I command. And I want you to think about this, though. When we think about that criteria of friendship, there are shared values so often some kind of value, even if, even if, say, you don't believe any of the same things in a lot of areas of life, you might have in common that you're both willing to speak honestly and truthfully to each other about what you don't share and what you don't believe. So there's that sort of criteria there embedded in the idea of friendship. And if we go back a couple of verses, in verse 12, it says this. Jesus says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So the condition for friendship with Christ is to love one another. This is the command that he is speaking to the disciples. He's saying, look, I call you friends when you love each other. You look like a friend of Christ when you are loving those around you. In, in the ancient world, they, they would have been familiar with this phrase, friend of the emperor, that, that you look like a friend of the emperor when you engage in certain activities. They certainly wouldn't, wouldn't have been just to love the people around you. And so Jesus is taking this, this turn of phrase and he's using it about himself, that you are my friends when you do what I've commanded, which is to love, to love one another. So there's somehow, some way in this, this deep type of sacrificial love that Jesus is describing here, this honest type of communication, this friendship with another human being, that in some way we should become aware that the friendship of Christ is abiding with us, is present with us when we are loving those around us. You are my friends when you love one another. So again, you know, why, why is this important? Why, why is this so, uh, so much 
so that I would preach a sermon on this, spend 30 minutes talking about this. Uh, like I said before, it's easy for a lot of us to imagine God as a judge or a king. And, and maybe if your parents were, were harsh, uh, were quick to judge, were very authoritative, um, or you had teachers like that, influences in your life, then this actually might feel comfortable for you to think about God that way. That you're comfortable in your discomfort and your guilt and your, your, sort, of, um, your, your sort of lowly feeling state about thinking about God this way. And maybe for, maybe for you, if you are even struggling with belief in God and especially a Christian idea of God, uh, it's because you've rejected that idea of God as judge or king. But here in front of us, friends, is a God through Christ telling us that when you love others, you are my friend. So, so it's, it's really important for us to talk about um, um, salvation and, uh, and justification and, and right standing with God in those sort of legal terms for things that we've done wrong, guilt, way we've harmed other people. But there's also this other conversation, this conversation that takes us out of the legalese and how much time are we due or being forgiven for having to do and just talking about that God is there with you as a friend. And the New Testament writers even say as a brother in different ways. And places. So thinking about God as, as somebody, somebody who we can be honest with, somebody that we can tell the truth to, to, to lean on when things are hard, and someone to share joy with. Listen to this. In verse 11 here it says, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Have you ever been proud of one of your friends before? Like just really proud where there was, there was something that they did really well. And instead of feeling jealous or personally insufficient, maybe those thoughts popped up in your mind, but bigger and louder than any of that was pride and joy and excitement that your friend could accomplish what they got to accomplish. Just to, just to take a moment and just be just be starstruck with the glory of what your friend did, whether it, was, uh, whether it was like adopting a child or winning a sports game or just how they were able to diffuse a tense situation with some friends or, um, or just manage life in a way that you can't. Isn't that interesting when you think about these verses here of the joy that Jesus is describing, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, full is another way of saying that as well. I think about the presence of Jesus, I think about it in that way, that the, that the times when I'm doing well, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm doing what what I've practiced doing, what I've tried hard to become good at, what I've been gifted and talented with doing. To think about God as a friend, to think about Christ as looking at me and saying, oh man, good job, buddy. That's a picture of God that we could use more of. That could encourage us to want to put effort into 
experiencing the presence of God. Because we remember from the, the past of this series, all the, all the past uh, sermons, no matter who was preaching, that it takes effort to be present with another person. That our mind can be going all different types of ways and places when we're with other people, and we can be so afraid of certain things happening that we can't be present in the moment. And the same thing is true with God. If we're so worried about coming into the presence of someone who's just there to sort of judge our moral activities, and not as a friend who could be beside us, not as a friend who could cheer us on, not as a friend who could lean on when we're not doing so good, then that might keep us away from even wanting to become aware of the presence of God. And so in many ways, this idea of friendship that Jesus is offering here is an antidote to the things that so often can plague us those feelings of inadequacy, guilt, and shame that a good friend embraces about you, doesn't, doesn't see it as, as something that's uh, to be, to be uh, cut out and, and destroyed so that they can then be friends with you, but they embrace you for who you are. Verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You know, I was talking earlier about how, how friendship's a choice, right? Uh, it, it's a choice of relationship. And, um, you know, we have a limited amount of time. The only thing that we know for sure is that things are changing, that, that nothing's going to stay the same, that someday you will, will be your last day. You'll run out of days. And this idea here that Jesus is spousing, that greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend, is such a beautiful thing about the choice of friendship, the, friendship, the potential to which friendship can reach. So much so that you would choose to prematurely end your days or your comfort or your status in life or your reputation for a friend. And Jesus isn't speaking figuratively. He's speaking of someone who has done this very thing and would continue to do this thing for those people right in front of him. And he says, hey, you're going to go and do likewise. So here's, here's the thing about a good friend. A friend is someone who chooses to risk the end of something they enjoy. They choose to risk the end, the premature end of something they enjoy. Freedom, a job, status, comfortability, money, time, whatever it may be for another person they call friend. I love to think about Jesus in that way. And I love to be able to easily see that aspect of him in the scriptures. Friend, someone you choose. It says He says here, uh, at the end of the passage, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, this fruit of, of friendship. The last thing that I want to 
uh, highlight in the scriptures here about this friendship that Jesus shows us. In verse 15, it says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business, does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You know, a friend, a friend is somebody who, who wants you to have the information you need to do well in life. A good friend doesn't hold those things back. And, and as you become older in years, there's more opportunities uh, for this to happen or not happen in your life. When you, when you find uh, a people that can really help you out in life and, and you feel like there might be a scarcity of resources and so you find these secrets over here and over there about how to manage your finances or get deals on things or hedge your bets in certain ways and you have choices to make all the time. Are you going to share those resources? Are you going to share those secrets to life? Are you going to share even the vulnerability of the truth of who you are with your friends. And these things will ultimately decide the quality and the depth and the meaning and the transformation possibility of those friendships. And here we have Jesus telling his disciples, look, I have given you everything that was given to me. That's a beautiful picture of a close friendship that we can we can desire and aspire to. Someone who doesn't live in this scarcity mentality, who doesn't hold things back, believing there won't be enough for both you and them. This type of friendship is the type of friendship that can transform the world. As I go back and I think about the example I shared with you, Daryl Davison, and the types of things he would have had to give up to continue the friendship with the people who thought him as inferior or inherently worth less than they were. And how that power of that friendship transformed their lives. How much it cost him to do that. And how much I would never ask anybody to do that. But he did it because of this, the power of friendship. <laughs> it sounds so cheesy, right? The power of friendship. But, it's, but it's, uh, it's something that could be closer than a brother. So, Peter, we talked about Peter a little bit last week as we, as we get to the, the close of this message. Peter thinks he really gets this and understands this what Jesus is talking about. And Peter loves Jesus. All this stuff about friendship, Peter's vibing with it. He's, he's, he is in that zone, man. He's like, yes, I, I, that's how I feel about you, Jesus. And, uh, and so later, uh, in, in this same moment, uh, in this same time, evening, uh, some guards and soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And uh, Peter's like, oh, yeah, okay, so now we get to put this into practice. And Peter pulls out his sword, and he's ready to rumble, right? He's ready to fight uh, for his friend Jesus. And Jesus says, put the sword away, Peter. That's not, that's not what we're here to do. That's not what this is about. Can you imagine how confusing that, that would have felt? But you just said, like, greater love is, has no one than to, than to lay down your life for their friends. That's what I'm doing, man. I'm like, I'm ready to go. And that was this, the subtle 
the subtle but extremely important difference in the, in the way that Jesus lived and taught what this friendship looked like. Because the heart of this type of friendship is that when you are there for your friend, when you support and value and even nurture a relationship with your friend, it's not at the cost of other people out there. It's at the cost of in here. It's the risk of what's in here. It reminds me of this proverb, this Quaker proverb. It says, an enemy is a person whose story you haven't heard. This sort of position that Jesus is taking here, even, on, uh, even with these enemies in front of him, he's saying, you're going out to be a friend to enemies, like a black man to a KKK member. You're going out with this idea of friendship, not an ideal. An ideal is something that's yet to be achieved, but an idea that I'm embodying, that Jesus Christ is embodying, and I'm saying, go and do the same. You are my friends when you love your fellow man. That the friendship of God abides with you as you pour out love in a way that costs you something, and it's something you get to choose to do. Whew. I'm ready to, I'm ready to be somebody's friend right now. <laughs> hey, hey, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, hey, friend. And turn, turn, to, your, turn to your other neighbor on the other side and say, uh, Christ is your friend. Amen. As we close, I want to share this last story with you because uh, this idea of friendship, um, it it spills over into into so many areas. And I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about Daryl Davis and I was thinking about some of the other places in the world where People are acting on behalf of others in this sacrificial and loving way. And I just wanted to draw our attention to this. I don't, you know, I often wonder, we're at this, this unique spot and place in history in, a, in America where it, it seems like, you know, you can go out and you can protest and you can do things like that. And, and, and a lot of times it might not cost you uh, that much. Um, I've done those things. And I can tell you, there are some times when it seemed like it could have cost me a whole lot. Um, And there's laws currently being passed around those things. But there's a a young woman, uh, very young, in China. She was an activist, and uh, she she disappeared, uh, as many activists have in in China over the years, on... uh, on February 16th, 2020, and her name is uh, Li Chiaochu. Uh, Li Chiaochu. She sent out this tweet uh, on January 24th, 2020. So it was after the outbreak of, of COVID already. She said, wish everyone a peaceful Lunar New Year. Let's remember the pain and the lies that left us without even being tallied. Let's Let's use civic engagement to pursue those responsible for trampling lives. 
So after that, February 16th, she was abducted by the government. And she wasn't just a tweeter about these things, which is dangerous in itself in China. But she did things like during the winter of 2017, where there were record low temperatures in Beijing, there were authorities evicting tens of thousands of migrant workers in the middle of this, this uh, freezing cold winter. And she worked to, fr to find free or cheap housing for those newly homeless migrant workers, people that weren't even part of her community. Uh, she, in 2018, played an active role in China's Me Too movement, uh, collecting cases and sharing reports online. She helped hand out free masks to sanitation workers in Beijing. She helped pregnant women in quarantine areas to find doctors and organize volunteers to help those who had suffered domestic violence, which, as we probably all know, has increased a lot since uh, all the lockdowns. She was released sometime in 2020. And then I saw, as I continued to research her, I saw that, again, February 6th, on 2021, uh, she was taken away by police again uh, because she was speaking out against torture. And uh, she's, since then, in the summer, I saw that she was, she was released again. But when I think about the kind of, the kind of place that a friendship can go, like not just a personal one-on-one -on -one friendship, but the types of things friendships can motivate us to do because her husband is also was a, was a lawyer who was an activist as well. And so there was something about their friendship and their relationship that motivated them both to continue this type of work that cost them something. And I don't think that's anything short of what it is that Christ, the type of friendship and love that Christ is talking about. And so, uh, as we head to the communion table in a moment, I want us to think about that. How valuable, how encouraging and inspiring it can be to see Christ, to imagine, and to, to want to relate to God as friend. And what that can empower us to do. So, let's go ahead and pray. Friend Jesus... Thank you for this morning. Thank you for mothers and nurturing and care. Thank you for the words, the scripture in which you call yourself our friend. If we love those around us. I pray that we would abide in that. That we would find your presence, your friendship as we seek to love those around us. In your name we pray. Amen.